Awesome. My wife had a tremendous time and put a bold, bold thing on uh, online. Super raw, super real. I don't know if you saw it or not. If you didn't, um, uh, what did you put on center point? I don't know what you put on. I'm going to put on center point. <laughs> she doesn't like this stuff, but man, it was huge. See, one of the things that one of the things that we're not good at is being vulnerable in front of other people. But it's that vulnerability, it's that humility that someone so resonates with. It's, it, when you hear someone come up here and, and say, hey, look, I'm really struggling in this and that, and I went on the dock, and then, oh, you know, my grandmother, and I was, it was just, and then they play the blessing. When you hear that and someone's being vulnerable with you, it resonates in you because you understand I'm not the only one. I didn't come to church in pain, and I'm the only one because pain is isolating. Pain is incredibly isolating. You feel like I'm the only one feeling this. I'm the only one that feels like I walk in and out of here and don't talk to enough people. I'm the, I, I don't really matter that much. Everyone feels that. And when someone comes up and just is, is just honest, and this is what God did, when someone comes up and he says, you know, I, I went there, I expected to hear from God, I did, that was cool, and comes home, you don't go, oh, that brought a tear. You know, it's, it's the vulnerability. Not, not this prideful Christianese that we're talking like we think people want to hear. Being real. We've got to be real. Please be real. I promise you I'm going to do my best to be as real as I can be. Not so real that you're like, mm. <laughs> but real enough to know I'm real. Okay? We've got to be. We're not trying to fake anybody out. We have a very real God. Don't we? Do we have a real God? We have a real God who deals with real problems. All right, so the children are all with us today. So just do your best to zoom in. I, I even know some families like, oh, this is one of those fifth week months where, you know, we're trying to give the children's church people a chance to be out a little bit more. We're still looking for those volunteers. And so, and so you know, we're going to have everybody come on out here. So do your best to just zoom in and focus. We love the kids. The kids are right here with us. They're going to they're gonna hear this message too. We're going to be all in this together. Listen, this is, this is the last part of a three-part sermon on Psalm 139. And what I'm just going to ask you to do is stay focused. We're getting off to a little bit later start. It's no big deal. We're not really getting off to a late anything. God, God's doing exactly what he wants to do today. But what I'm going to ask you to do is as I get to Psalm 139, I'm going to pray just for God to do what he's going to do. I'm just going to ask you to just take any kind of clutter in your mind, any mental noise that's just maybe distracting you and try to compartmentalize that somewhere else. Ask the Lord to take it out. We want to focus. Focus on what he's got for us this morning. Okay, here we go. Lord Jesus, it is so easy for any of us to do exactly what Sarah was talking about in the dock. And to think, well, what's someone else going to think? Or what am I doing after this? Or I've got a busy day tomorrow. Or I've got a busy day today. And, and zoom out and miss what you have for us in this moment right now. It's, we're so distractible. We're so easily distractible. So I ask God that you'd allow us right now, Jesus, allow us to just really intentionally spend time in your presence. We don't have this opportunity like this all week long. We've got jobs. We've got families. We've got work environments. We've got things that take up so much of our time, and they have to. It's just part of life. 
You put Adam and Eve in the garden, and there was and and, and there's work. There's a work to this place. You had him work the garden before and after the fall. The work got a lot more intense after. But we're intended to work. It's part of what we do. But God, we're intended to rest. And we need to rest in you. And we need to be able to find that place where we're, we're in it with you and we're focused. Using and making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The days are evil. So we're making the most of this opportunity to let the electricity of your Holy Spirit run through this fellowship as we are here together and we don't have this opportunity the rest of the week to be this big, to be this together as a church family. And Lord Jesus, allow us, so many of us don't even know each other, allow us to start getting to know each other all across the board. We are a family of God. Help us to just have these opportunities where we're getting to know each other. We're in a good season for that. And just learn each other's names and, and love on each other. We need each other. Ask that in your name. Anoint your reading. Anoint your word. Anoint this in your name, God. Amen. So Psalm 139, because everything I do, you start with prayer, start with the word. We'll start with the word. Reads like this. You've heard it. You might have heard it twice, but I bet you don't have it memorized yet. You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, Jonah tried that one, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness won't be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame wasn't hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me, written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them? Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Turn away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I've got nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. All right, we've hit this from several angles, the search me and the search me. We talked about that last week. Talked about uh, how all of our days were written in a book before one of them came to be, and John seeing his name in the firmament of the New Jerusalem as the 12 apostles are part of that firmament, and he's one of them. We, we've talked about these things the last couple weeks, but I'm going to zoom in on something very, very different today. Uh, where I am is 
where Jesus, where Jesus spoke to my heart is right here. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there you guide me, your right hand holds me. That's where we're zooming in. And then at the end, when David starts to get really ticked off and says how much he hates, that's the other place that we're going to be because I cannot believe how the Lord opened up my eyes to see something there. Okay, so first this. If you have a Bible or if you just want to kind of watch and follow along because we've got like the big Bible that you can watch with, uh, Luke 15. Luke 15 is just a favorite location of mine because of what it does. Luke 15 is awesome. A lot of you are familiar with it and have read through it. A lot of you are like, oh, I at least heard about it. So just listen to how this reads. Now the tax collectors and the sinners, they were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. And then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you was a, has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finally finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Listen to the phrasing. Jesus, the shepherd, the good shepherd, goes after the lost sheep. And when he finds it, joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Joyfully, not spitefully, not condescendingly, not, not angrily. What, what were you thinking? What brought you here? Why did you settle on the far side of the sea, Jonah? Why are you over here? What are you thinking? Not, not spitefully, not condescending. A God that seeks you out, who dies while we're yet sinners. A God who joyfully goes to the cross. He goes to the cross for the joy set before him, the Scripture says. What's the joy? To have you with him forever. Precious is the death of the saints in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Because he never, ever has an opportunity to lose you. Once you have died in the name of Jesus Christ, you live forever. And, you, and there's no sin, and there's no brokenness, and there's nothing that separates. That is precious to our God. You are precious to our God. So you think, okay, well, I walked away, though. I walked away. I went, I went way out here. I've made my home in the depths, and the depths of sin is where I made my home. There's no way he's, he's going to come to me here. He already saved me from my sin, and I walked right back out here. And the Scripture says, like in Galatians, crucified him again by my behavior. Here I am with my anger and my frustration and my disappointment in God, and it brought me to here, and now, now here I am in this dark place. And it says that Jesus, the good shepherd, when he finds that sheep in that position, joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. He does the work. See? You can go 50 miles away, and all you do is turn like that, and he light speeds to you. You just turn to him, and he light speeds to you. It's that fast. He covers that distance like that because it's nothing to him. 
For you, you'd have to make that whole sojourn back to him, all this work that you do. No, he puts you on his shoulders and joyfully, joyfully, hey, let me tell you a song, let me tell you a story. I was watching, that was really stupid. But, you know, and, and he's, he's bringing you home. He does the work. He does the work, not you. That's awesome. So that's Jesus, and you see him here in the very first section. It's Jesus telling the story, but he's not just going to leave it only in his hands. Listen. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, and he goes home. And then he calls to his friends and his neighbors. He gets them together. Jesus getting all of heaven together, all of heaven. Let's celebrate. I found him. I got him. What about these other 99? Well, they're doing okay. I had to go get this guy, but he's home. Isn't that awesome? And then, and then it says, uh, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. By the way, there's only been one who didn't need to repent, and that was Jesus. So what he's saying is 99 who at the moment don't need to repent. But I had to get this one because that one was, he was lost. Okay. So now you see Jesus. But what I love about the community of heaven, Jesus, Holy Spirit, God, is that none of them are ever backbiting the other one. None of them are ever gossiping about the other one of the Trinity. None of them are ever saying, oh, my Lord, you see what the Holy Spirit said? So sick of that guy. He thinks like he's trying to take over my job. He's just like he's telling people stuff, and they start you know, praying to him, not me. Uh, and then Jesus, God's putting all the, all the authority into Jesus. And Jesus said, no, no, don't give it. I'm going to give it back to him. I don't even know what day he's actually really coming. I don't know either. I'm the son. You know, it's, it's him. He's the father, Every, pointing everybody to the father, to the father. And Jesus said, look to the son. I'm going to put all authority in that name. Pray in that name. Pray in the name of Jesus. And Jesus said, look to the father. Look to the father. That, do you see what they do? The Holy Spirit, I will only say what God told me to do. I'm, I'm a guide because I'm, I am God. But I'm the part of God that says, speaking to you and living inside of you, yes. But I'm only going to speak whatever God wants me to speak. And Jesus is saying, I will only do what the Father tells me to do. I'll only say what the Father tells me to say. Man, if the body of Christ could get a hold of this. If we weren't backbiting and backstabbing and gossiping, and if we, if we got a hold of this, being real, being genuine, being raw, you are a mess, people. And so am I. We are sinners saved by grace. We're just beggars showing other beggars where the food is. That's all we are. So then you get this, because Jesus is telling the story, so he's going to give honor to the Holy Spirit, and he's going to give honor to the Father. This starts with Jesus, but he's going to give honor. Listen. Or suppose he's telling another version of the story. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and she loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together. Rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Again, I'm not the kind of person that loves to say, okay, everybody close your eyes. Someone pray about Jesus, and if you, if you accept him, raise your hand. I don't like that. Like, it's a dirty secret. Nobody wants to know. We all want to know. 
Why? So we can celebrate with you. All of heaven's gone. Oh, why do we want to miss the celebration? If someone in here today says, you know what, that thing you're talking about, Jesus, I've never known that, but I'd really like to accept that, then we would all like to celebrate with you. Say, woo! Someone's been brought into the fold. So the first one, you see Jesus. But listen to the phrasing here. Lighting a lamp, sweeping the house, searching carefully in the house, until it's found. When she finds it, calls everybody and rejoices. This is the Holy Spirit. Jesus picks up the lamb, brings it home on his shoulders. This is the Holy Spirit getting inside the house, lighting up some light, sweeping the mess, finding where the lost coin is, putting things back together, back in order. This is the Holy Spirit living inside of you when you ask Jesus in and saying, I, okay, you're, you're not, you're going the wrong way. I'm in here telling you, this is not your conscience. It's not Jiminy Cricket. You know how I love grasshoppers, but that's not the thing. This is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is speaking and lighting things. And this is, so you see Jesus, you see the Holy Spirit. This week, I lost these. And that is super duper irritating. And so I've got another fob. Those are not cheap. I've got another fob, but it doesn't work well, so I always use this one. And so they were gone for about six days. Six days without your keys that also opened my door to my office is a real bummer. And so I'm looking everywhere, and by the end of six days, I'm just like, because <sighs> I've gone over all my steps. I've followed all my paths. My wife is so wonderful. Okay, where were you? Where were you? She doesn't say that dumb thing. Uh, well, where'd you put them last? <laughs> If I knew that, no, she says, okay, where were you? What clothes did you wear? I'm equally unable to answer those questions. <laughs> but they're less condescending, and I feel better about them. And then she watches me, and then she's like, well, I, I, you know, I, I'm going to trace you back through some of your steps. And then she walks me back through them until I find them, because she knows me well enough to know that because I'm six foot six, I got all my clothes up here, and I'll grab stuff off, and I'll put the keys down because I was changing, and they were in my pocket. And then I'll walk away and then look through the whole house not finding them. And she's like, uh, go, go, go look at your stack of pants. I guarantee they're up there. And they will be. If they're not, she's like, go to the bathroom. I guarantee you pull them out of your pocket because they irritate you. It's like, dang, that's where they were, you know, like over and over. But she cannot help me. We can't find them. It's almost a week, and we cannot find them. And I'm starting to really lose it. I have lit a light. I've swept the house. I've gone through everything. I've gone through. I got in my car and just pushed the button just in hopes that maybe it's in the car. And it's, it's not. So I get down, and I'm just like, Lord Jesus, I know that, that the world's not going to fall apart if I don't find my stinking key. But it's driving me insane that I don't know where it is. Would you just show me where? Oh, like it was like just like that. Because what I'd forgotten was I had raced home to meet someone that had asked me to talk to him about some things with the Lord. They were far away, so I said, meet me at my house. I live in Augusta. I'll come from here. You meet here. We'll meet here. And I rushed in the house, and I sat down in the recliner next to them talking to them. I was like, oh, wait, wait, wait. There's a song that I think you should hear. So I grabbed my guitar, and I was like, oh, the recliner's not going to sit in. So I sat in another seat, and I played the song. God's ministering. It's awesome. Thing goes, I get my, I, I have to go somewhere. I couldn't find my keys. I just grabbed the other fob, and that's, where I, that's what I've been using ever since until I found these. And the thing that God struck me with was you sat in the recliner first. So I rushed over the recliner, and I boom, you know, you know how you do, you quick, just 
through both sides. And I got halfway through, bink, there they are. Ah, the keys. Do I have the 130 bucks to get out of the fob? Actually, no, I don't. So I was really looking for those. Could I get it? Probably. It's not like my world's going to fall apart if I don't get the fob. It's maddening to not know where it is. So the woman's got nine silver coins. She spends the one she finds to have a party with her friends. That she found it. Because it's not about finding the coin. It's about knowing where it was. Oh, I didn't lose it. I've got it back. Thank you, Jesus. God is so, so intentional with the Holy Spirit getting in there and saying, here's where you stepped off the track. Here's where it is. And he walks you back. Matter of fact, if you think that you, back here when you were like a super-duper jerk, because you just weren't, things weren't going well and you were just a super-duper jerk and you kind of got off the path, and then you kind of got back and right with God and things are going real smooth, if you think he's not taking you back there to repent and fix that problem, you're mistaken. He will. Everything's going amazing, and then, and then that person that you ticked off walks into church. You're like, oh. And the Holy Spirit does that little tug, you know, lights it up, sweeps a little bit more. Go talk to them. Okay. He's going to take you there, and you know if you don't, he'll set you up worse. Not because he's mean, because something's wrong, and he wants to fix it, because that's what he does. So, and relationships Relationships matter to him. They matter. Parable of the lost son. So we've got Jesus. You've got the Holy Spirit. We need the Father. Watch how this rolls. Jesus continued in verse 11. I didn't even watch the screen. Oh, yeah, Isaac, you're killing it. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Just so we're clear, so we, so we understand what the scene is. Set the scene, set the table. Jesus is pretty, ah, oh Jesus. Dad is pretty well off. He's got an estate. He's got these two sons. They live in a rich house. They've got a lot of stuff. They've got a lot of servants. As the story plays out, you see they've got all that stuff. Lots of food, lots of servants, lots of money. And this son has the audacity to go to his father and say, Dad, you're dead to me. I want the will now. Do you hear what's being said? Hey, Dad, can you give me my share of the state? I mean, if I was dad, I'd be like, you know I'm still alive. I'm still breathing. And he's like, no, no, I want my stuff now. Wow. So that matters more? So... You know, you're thinking, slap, slap. But, you know, which, by the way, my children are still in the sanctuary. That's what will <laughs> Don't ever ask for half. Can I, can I have the car and drive off and just do my own thing? Uh, no, I'm, I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm not dead. So not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, which is significant now because he took half of dad's stuff. He took together, you know, all this stuff, and he set off for a, here it is again, 
distant country. Go far from where God is. What if I, in the Psalm 139, what if I settle on the far side of the sea? What if I make my bed in the depths? What if I go far away from where God is? He does. So after he spent everything, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't finish that. All he did, and, and he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Because this is what someone does when they think that, you know, it's okay to just take dad stuff. You've already got bad intentions. It's going to go badly. It does. And boy, going somewhere flush with cash as a young person, I don't think I've seen that go once correctly in my life. A whole bunch of money in a kid's hands and just go do whatever you want. Seriously? You know, <laughs> like anything? That goes bad. That goes bad. They don't know what they're doing. I didn't. Look back, people that are not young people. Someone hands you half the estate at 20. What are you going to do? Be an idiot. So he was. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his pigs to feed him. And then he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Famine in the land. No one gives him anything. He's in desperate need. A lot of people don't have much, so they're definitely not going to give it to this guy. And he's feeding the pigs. Which for a Jew at that time, is he shouldn't even be there. And he wants to eat what they're eating. He's like, if I could just stick my face in that slop that the pigs have their faces in, that would be amazing. Imagine to go back when he's living at dad's and to see himself now in this, to see himself like this. See, that's how Satan gets you. That's how Satan gets you. You were in a better position. You're now in a horrible position. You know it's your fault. And Satan's going, you know it's your fault. Boy, if you could go back and look at what you've done with your life, like God's going to really take you back. Like God's going to bring you, joyfully put you on his shoulders and walk you home. Why would he light things up and look for you? Here you are in the pig pen where you're not supposed to be. You spent everything that the kingdom allowed you, and you used it for your own benefit, and here you are. See, Satan is an accuser. That's not God. Those words that you're hearing, if you're like, yeah, yeah, that's probably what God would say. No, it isn't. It's absolutely not what God would say. God's the one who's joyfully coming after you. Satan's the one who's hammering you while you're in the pig pen. He's the one with the mallet. He's the one not giving you anything. He's the one who's been watching you because be careful. Satan knows when you lie down and get up too. Not because he's brilliant or he can see the end from the beginning. Because he's dirty. And he watches very carefully. What knee jerks your attention? He's watching. What attracts you? He's watching. What moves you from God? He's watching. Everything depends on this for him. He's not taking it lightly. And he's merciless. So, listen, 
He's in the pigs. He's got no food. And this idea comes to him. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants, they just work for dad. They're not a child. They're not, a, they're not, they're not, they're not like the son, like me. They just work for him. How many of them have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll sit out, set out, go back to my father, say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Let's paraphrase this. I'm a sinner. Father, I'm a sinner. I sinned against heaven and against you. I've sinned against a whole lot of people, but I've most importantly sinned against you, Father. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of the hired servants. So he went up and, got to his, and he went to his father. Why do you think this idea came to him? For six days I searched for my keys until I finally just got down in complete frustration. God, you know how my brain works. There's no chance I'll remember where I put those things. Like zero. Zero chance. I can't do this. This zero. Oh, the recliner. That wasn't me researching the archives of my brain and playing back through where I'd been. I'd already done that all week. That wasn't a key search, and it was a brilliant move on my part. I am an idiot that lost my keys. I would not find them. It wasn't going to happen. I finally gave up to that idea, got on my knees, and said, God, would you f- help me? They're in the recliner. That simple. The... The idea for this kid in the pig pen didn't come from him. He didn't suddenly reason it out. He's been out here forever. Why didn't he reason this out sooner? Why didn't he reason it when the famine came? Why didn't he reason it when he's got to be hired to be working on pigs and think, well, wait, my dad's servants are, he doesn't. He's there for a long time. He's eating out of the trough going, I want this. Wait, I'm eating out of the trough. I can eat it at my dad's table. I got to go back. I gotta go back. I'm a son. I got to go back. And this is what I was talking about. You say, you know, oh, I walked 50 miles away. I gotta walk back 50 miles. No. Listen how it reads. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son. He beats his son to the punch. He runs to the boy, runs to his pig-smelling, gross, dirty, curd-eating, whatever he's been eating, boy. Not like, oh, my Lord, take a shower and then hug me. He runs for him. He sees him at a distance and runs. You see how the verbiage is? It's not like he's mad. He's not angry. He's not frustrated. He's not accusatory. He's saying, you are coming. Thank you. I love you. I've been waiting for you. Just open up your heart. Open up your mind. Understand that I'm after you. I'm hunting you. 
I did that on the cross already. I'll do it again. I am a pit bull. I will keep coming and coming and bite and hold, and you can't unlock my jaw. I'm after you. I'm after you. In love. We take ourselves out of the game. God never does. Satan can keep us out of the game. God never does. Filled with compassion. And what does he do? He runs to him. He sees him at a distance, filled with compassion, runs to him, stops everything he's doing. Hey, you 99 okay? Good, I'll be right back. And then he, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He's blown all that. He's blown right through it. What are you saying? Stop. Stop talking. Listen to what he says. I, I'm sorry. I've blown everything. And he's just starting to tell him what he did with his money. But the father said to his servants, Quick, quick, bring the best robe. Put it on him, a robe of righteousness. Put a ring on his finger. You know what that ring is? It's not just a cool ring. It's to do business in the kingdom. It's got dad's symbol on it. It means you can do business in the finger. You, you, with, with that on your finger, you can press it into a seal of wax and say, that, that has my seal of approval on it. That's, I can do business in the kingdom now. That's what that means. Put a ring on his finger. Put a robe of righteousness. He's going to do business in the kingdom again. That's my son. That's just not, that's not just, that's my son. So, oh, more, more. Put a ring on his, sandals on his feet. Feet prepared with the gospel. That's what that is. Check it out. Ephesians, armor God. But, you know, the father's bringing a robe. He's putting a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, sit, kill it. We're going to have a feast and celebrate. This son of mine was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he's found. They began to celebrate. This is a celebration. This should be a celebration. Our walk with God should be a celebration. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Stop walking around with your face down on the ground and feeling like everything's horrible. You have a thing in God that no one else has unless they do. And if they do, they should be as joyful as you. we got to challenge people with that joy. we got to have that joy. It's got to be inside of us. And if it's not there, then you beg him for it like I was begging him for the keys. I don't know where I last left my joy, God. I don't know. I've retraced my steps. Probably here, here, here. But I've looked and searched. Just bring the joy back. Bring it back into my life. Bring it back into my heart. Bring an awe of what you do back into me. Because right now, I'm like, you, I read stuff and it's like dry. It's like I'm reading something else. I, I, want, I want the word of God that gets in there and separates between joints and marrow, that, that judges the hearts and thoughts and attitudes of man. That's what I want. Get me back in awe of you. I want a joy that comes from the Lord and is my strength. I want that love that people look at and go, I want, I want what that is. And it draws others to the kingdom. I want that. They've already seen gossiping and backbiting. They don't, that doesn't draw them. Oh, wow, you guys all gossip? We do too. Maybe I'll come to church someday. We can talk about people together. They need to see joy. They need to see love. They need to see something real, something genuine. Know that you went through hell literally and God pulled you from it. Not that you pulled yourself from it. That God pulled you from it. It wasn't your idea. It was his. And we were all on that track. I hope you're not. Meanwhile, the older son, 
He's been with God the whole time. This is frustrating. This is so frustrating. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called to the servants, and he asked him, what's going on? Your brother's come, he replied, and your father's killed the fattened calf uh, and, and because he's home safe and sound. Every big celebration, big celebration. An older brother. The older brother became angry. He refused to go in. He's the older brother? This is usually a younger brother that does this. He refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered, look, father, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Who has children? Have you heard this discussion? Don't you just want to... I, I saw this video once, and someone walked through the house, and they had bows, like Christmas bows. And they put one on the light switch, and they put one on their bed, and on the door to their bedroom, and they put one on the stairs, and they put one on the refrigerator. They said, there, there's the gift of life that I give you every day. You have electricity, don't you? That's a gift. Enjoy it when you flick the light switch on, and I pay the bill. Oh, oh, oh enjoy going up those stairs to your room. Yeah, your own room. Isn't that nice? Turn the doorknob. Oh! My own room. Isn't that amazing? Don't you love that? That's a gift from me. That's a gift. Don't tell me I don't give you anything. I give you something all the time. I love to give you gifts. It's my heart to give you gifts. I want to give you gifts. I want to. And this, this, this guy's living in a mansion with a bunch of servants doing his work. And he's ticked that he's never got a young goat. My son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours, the whole kingdom. It belongs to you. It's all yours. Paraphrase, what's your problem? You, <laughs> but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost. He's found. Again, don't you love your brother? Aren't you happy? He's home. I mean, I get it. Things went south. He's back. <laughs> we serve a God who loves us. We serve a God who's real and genuine and loves a real, genuine heart that's leaning back towards him. Not a pious heart that thinks they're better than other people and not someone who's never broken. He wants people who understand they are. I didn't come to the kingdom because I was so righteous. I came because I was a disaster and a train wreck and I needed righteousness in my life. And I don't have it in myself to get it somewhere. It came from him. I love my wife better. I love my kids better because of him. I love people better. For 25 years, I love my students better. 
because of him. And when I wasn't loving correctly, he called me out on it, but not accusatory. Just like, man, I love you. I, everything in the kingdom's yours. I just want you to share it. You can operate in that. None of us can operate in people just tearing us down. Nobody can operate that. You don't get stronger. You don't get better that way. I played basketball on a team in Florida that the entire time I played, we only lost four games. I was the fifth tallest guy on the team. When I played, I was a backup center to a guy that went to Alabama and then Miami. Five players on the team went Division I on my high school basketball team. One was 6'10". One was 6'9", could dribble like a point guard and shoot threes, but then if he wanted to, he'd just drive two. We just, we just had all of these options. We went to, went to uh, the Leon County Governor's Cup, won a tournament with teams from the best team that they had in New York, best team they had in Kansas, best team they had in Kentucky, and we won it. And I'm on this team. Just being on that team should be just like, oh, my gosh, you're on that team. But we're playing practice once, and I'm back up to this other center. I've scored the first six points of the game. I've got them. They haven't scored yet. And my coach screams so that veins are coming off his head. If Doug's going to do that to you, what's Pinellas Park going to do to you next week? Now wake up! I didn't make another shot that whole practice. Matter of fact, every time I ever played in front of that coach, I couldn't even shoot. I couldn't even play. Even if I saw him today, I'm like, oh, hey, coach, air ball. Like, it just it screws me up. No one operates well like that. And we don't in the kingdom. Now, God is an unbelievable coach. He knows how to pull the best out of you. He does. But when you don't have that in you, he puts it in there through his Holy Spirit. I'm not going to have time to hit the rest of the stuff I wanted to hit because we've got some important things going on today, but I will make mention of it. Because it's important. Because you, you need to know the depth. You need to understand. Two months out of Egypt. The Israelites. It's Exodus 34. We're not going to go right there. Two months out of Egypt. God has opened up the Red Sea. He's drowned the army that's trying to kill the Israelites. He drowned the army that for 400 years had them in slavery. They're at the base of Mount Sinai. Moses goes up on the mountain. God, he's, God's given him all these instructions. He's up there. He's not even eating food or drinking water. He's up there 40 days. Thing looks like a volcano. Everyone's petrified at the bottom. Aaron's left in charge. Moses goes up. And God says, by the way, your brother, Aaron, I want you to make him close with the, with the most talented people you have. Use the best gems. Make ropes made of pure gold. I've got these guys. Ohelia, uh, Bezalel, they're, they're super talented and gifted. They're, out of the 2.5 million of you, they're like the most gifted. Have them make Aaron's clothes. He's your brother, and I want to give him dignity and honor among the people. He will be the priest. And every time he goes into God's holy place, he will wear these gems on his shoulders and on this ephod, on his chest piece, that say the names of the tribes. And then they will be on his heart. And I was mine. He's going to have the Urim and Thummim, which is his decision-making process. I'm going to give him the, the ability to make decisions for this giant group of people that are in the name of God. Whew. You know what Aaron's doing? He's making two golden calves at the bottom of the mountain. 
and saying, these are the gods that got you out of Egypt. They're having a big party. They have no food. God's dropping manna every day for 40 days while they're doing whatever they want, worshiping two golden calves. After just saying before he went up, we promise we will follow everything God says. Up the mountain, they're up there for a couple weeks, they got two golden calves. Your, your brother, Aaron, do you, was it that God was only zooming in on Moses and didn't have the bigger perspective to see what was going on at the base of the mountain from his unique opportunity? From, from his position, don't you think he could see the base of the mountain too and knew what was going on? You know what he's saying? And what he's saying to us, you are not defined by your mistakes. You're not defined by that error. You're not defined, even though you hurt yourself and many, many, many others and people died as a result, you're not defined by this Aaron. I called you Aaron the priest. That's what you will be. So I'm going to make the clothes in ahead of you so when you get into that position, you will be correct. I'm going to put in you what you don't even currently have. I'm making clothes for you for the kingdom, and you will walk in them. I'm a pit bull. I will not let go. I see it, but I see what I put in you. I know who you really are. Amen.